Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you would open today to, for us and that you would open our ears. And, that, and more than our ears, I pray that you would open our understanding and that you would open our hearts, Father. I pray that this day, my Father, we as true disciples may come to you, Almighty God, and to all that will be said here today with understanding, with openness. My Father, I just pray your blessings upon us. For many are called, but few are chosen. I pray that we hear with clarity the call. Oh, Father, we lay ourselves bare before you and glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. And I'd like to invite you as I begin today, if you would just take a look at the screen. I have a video for you to look at. The power of one person. The power of one person uh, committed to a cause greater than, than life. The power of one person called by God. I don't think any of these people, I don't think Abraham Lincoln, I don't think Mother Teresa, I don't think that Martin Luther King had any idea of what they were going to accomplish. They just took one step to what was right. And then another step, and another step, and another step, and eventually the world was changed by the power of one, because one can start a movement. The end of this month, October 31st, 1517, one man decided that he no longer could sit by and allow what the church was doing with indulgences. And though his first intentions were just simply to renew the church from within, eventually each step he took, each argument he made, each scripture he read, cost him to nail to the doors of the church as he was accustomed whenever there was a, a need for dialogue, a need, a need for debate, they would tag to the doors of the church what it was that they disagreed with in order to create uh, dialogue and, 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 and discourse. And the name of that man uh, was Martin Luther. Martin Luther changed the face of the church, changed the faith of the church, changed the direction of the church. And I don't think Martin Luther ever thought that that's what he was doing. He just had to stand up and say, I can't let the people of God not know the truth of the gospel. This selling of indulgences is wrong. 
The only reason the indulgences were being sold was so that St. Peter's Basilica be built because the church had run out of money because the particular pope in charge at the time, the one prior to Leo X, was, he, he just nearly bankrupted the church with, with lavish living. And so he started the building of, of St. Peter's, and, and it was for Leo X to finish it, but there was no money, so somebody suggested the idea of selling indulgences, which means whenever you sinned, you went to the priest, you repented, you confessed your sin, and the priest would give you um, a penalty of some sort, you know, 10 Ave Marias or do this for the poor or whatever it was that the priest felt was adequate for you to make amends for the sin that you had committed. Um, and what was being taught to the people, and I didn't mean to do this long historical study, but what was taught to the people is that they could buy an indulgence, which actually meant that whenever the penalty was issued, you could just show your indulgence or give your indulgence and you didn't have to do the penalty. And it wasn't so bad that you didn't have to do the penalty here on earth, but what if your relative had died? and supposedly they were in, in, in purgatory, how do they get out? How do you speed up their purgatory experience? And so you would buy more indulgences so that they got out of purgatory. And of course, the poor couldn't buy indulgences, but the rich could buy a whole lot of indulgences. And, and Martin Luther eventually just said, I don't find this stuff in Scripture anywhere. I, I don't find this thing about buying indulgences. I, I don't find, it, it sounds to me like work and not grace. It sounds like I can accumulate all these indulgences, go ahead and sin, confess my sin, get my penalty and pay it back through an indulgence. And, and so he nailed to the door of the church the 95 theses, the things he disagreed with, in, in looking for dialogue, in looking for um, um, a debate, and that thing escalated. It escalated, and, and when he was asked to recant, he basically said, I can't. The Word of God constrains me. I cannot not do. And eventually they excommunicated him. They looked to kill him. And from one circumstance to the other, he was the motivator to Calvin. He was the motivator to Swingley. He was the motivator eventually to England, to, to people like Cranmer and, and so many others that brought about the reformation of the church. And the reformation changed the face of the church, and it even changed in many ways Roman Catholicism. Because though they debated, though they did all these things, so, but they still eventually had to make their own changes too because it wasn't right. The power of one. The power of one willing to stand up, willing to risk all things, willing to give his time, willing to give his life if necessary, willing to do whatever because the cause of God is greater than the cause of any man. 
the power of one. Well, today uh, I wanted to uh, do a little bit of teaching. You know that we are in the midst of our stewardship campaign in October. Every year in October, you need to expect it. Uh, Father Steve expected it, so he mentioned it in his sermon two weeks ago. That we, He said, I'm sure Father Jose is going to be talking about stewardship at some point this month. And so uh, I do. And I want to talk about stewardship um, because it's necessary that the church looks at its stewardship. That, that we look at who we are as stewards of, of the things of God. Now, whenever we talk about stewardship, people immediately think, oh, he's going to talk about money. But stewardship is so much more than money. I actually believe with all my heart that if you and I truly understood the stewardship that God has granted to us, his church, money would be the least of the issues we would have to ever talk about. The least of the issues. Let me share with you a few things that you are stewards of. I wonder if you ever have thought that you are stewards of God's grace. Think about it for a moment. The abundant supernatural grace of God, you are stewards of the grace of God. Let me tell you, there's nothing bigger than the grace of God, not money, not anything, and yet God has made you stewards of His grace in a world that is in need of knowing grace. Not only the grace that comes from above that all of us need and the world needs, but the world is in need of horizontal grace. I don't think we deal with each other with a whole lot of grace. I don't think this world, you can't visibly, you can't listen to the news and say, oh, how much grace there is in the world. I can't listen to the news and not recognize that this world is in deep trouble because we don't have grace. We don't have the grace of God. We don't understand the grace of God. We don't appreciate the grace of God. And we are therefore not gracious to one another. We don't deal with each other within the family with grace. We don't deal between nations with grace. We know how to deal with each other with power, which was foreign to the kingdom of God. You, the church, you are the stewards of the grace of God because it is through you and through me that the world would ever come to understand grace. And if we don't know that you are stewards of the grace of God, you won't know how to administer it to the world. You've been given grace to be gracious. You've been given abundant grace to be abundantly gracious. 
You, the church of Jesus Christ, right here, you, the ones that I'm speaking to right now, have been given the stewardship of the grace of God to administer it to the world through your lives, through your words, through your works. You are stewards of the amazing grace of God. Each of you and all of you are stewards of the grace of God. To a hurting world. You are also stewards of the presence of God to a world that feels alone and abandoned and lost and searching for answers. You are the stewards of God's presence today in the world. If God is present in the world today, is through you, by you, and with you. You are stewards of the presence of God to people out there in the world that are looking for answers and find none, who are lonely, afraid, lost, and they react out of that loneliness and fear and anger with things like what happened in Las Vegas, with things like what happened in San Bernardino, with things like it happens every day, and I am amazed, I am amazed when I hear the news of the way in which people treat each other, damage each other, hurt each other, and even kill each other. And they're feeling lost like, like nobody cares for them. They're feeling lost like, like they don't have an answer out of their hole. Out of whatever hole they feel that they're in, they don't know how to get out, so they, they go to violence. It's not just evil, because it is, but it is, a, it is, it is the lostness of people's heart who need the presence of God to heal their past, their present, their futures, to heal their thoughts, to heal their brokenness, to heal them, and, and they can't find it. And yet the church, you, are the stewards of the presence of God to the world. You steward it. It's in us. It's with us. We, you, you are the stewards of God's kingdom. You are the stewards of God's kingdom on earth. To follow last week's sermon and my teaching on the parable of the vineyard, we are the tenants. We are the tenants to whom the Lord has entrusted the fruitfulness of his kingdom. Those of you that were here last week, you will remember my teaching on the parable of the vineyard and how he took the vineyard away from the 
the, the tenants that didn't produce and were giving it to a new nation that would produce the fruit of the kingdom. And I said to you, that is the Gentiles to whom he's entrusted his kingdom and will expect fruitfulness from us. We are the stewards of the kingdom of God on earth today. We are the stewards. I want you to think about this because if you don't get this, I don't understand it. But we are the stewards of the mysteries of God. Wow! St. Paul says that, I believe, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. That we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Everything God has revealed upon, about himself, he's entrusted to the church. He did not reveal who he was to unbelievers. He has revealed himself to the church as to who he is. The mysteries of God, the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of, of God's presence in the world is incarnate in the church and the mysteries have been revealed to believers and we can't hoard them. They're for us to pass on to the world. You are the stewards of the mysteries of God's will, God's promises, God's character. You. You are stewards of the mysteries the truth about who God is, of what God wants, of what God has done, and what he's yet to do. You hold that, those mysteries in your heart, in your minds, in your learnings. You are the stewards of the mysteries of God, and you are stewards of the revelation of the heart of God. You're stewards of the revelation of the heart of God, stewards of the revelation of God's character and the revelation of God's virtues and values. You have learned them. They're in you. They're with you. They're in your mind. They're in your lips. They're in your heart. Are you going to keep them there? Or are you going to give them away? You are the stewards of the revelation of God to a world that is looking for someone bigger than them, someone with answers they can't find anywhere else. And here we are as the stewards of those mysteries and of those revelations. We have been called we have been called as the church of Jesus Christ to serve in imitation of Jesus who came to serve. If you are really a disciple of Jesus, then you are to copy who Jesus was in every way, in every respect, even the tough parts, and you are to imitate him in how you live and how you talk and how you share. And how you serve. 
In doing that, we reveal the heart of God. Listen, I can preach until I'm blue in the face. I can preach to the choir, and the world out there has no idea of the gospel. I can preach my best sermons, my worst sermons, my in-between sermons. And if you think that it's just for you, you're wrong. It's to equip you to go out there and do the stuff that God has called us to do. It's not about word. It's also about action. The gospel and the ministry of Jesus was both about word and gospel and action among the people. I have shared with you before that ministry for Jesus was the person right in front of them. And every one of you finds some of these people in front of you every day of your life. And you're called to be ministers and servants and to preach through your actions, through your love, through the way you deal with people, to let your Christianity be real, to let your Christianity be living, and don't leave it in preaching, don't leave it in, in, in Sunday mornings. It is for every day and every moment and everyone, because you're the stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Take a look at that. You are God's workmanship, created for the works that God prepared in advance that he wanted his church to go and do. And take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another. Take a look at that again. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God or as the word of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As you have been gifted, it's for the use of others. Now, none of us None of us honestly can read the Gospels or read the whole Bible for that matter. If you're a real serious, open-hearted student of the Bible, if you're not, you're going to miss it. But if you are a student of the Bible, which we should all be as disciples of Jesus, we need to understand that our God is a missionary God. Our God is not a stationary 
old man in heaven seated on a throne waiting to see what you and I do. From the beginning of creation, God has sought out a people. Sought out. Actively looked for. In creation, he created the world in such a way that those people he was about to create could have a place where they could live and breathe and, and, and multiply. All of the aspects of creation were with you in mind, with humanity in mind. And then when we sinned, he sought out a way out of our sin. Our God is a missionary God in an active way looking for the loss from the beginning of the book of the Bible of Genesis all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. God has been seeking the loss to draw them to himself, to forgive, to have fellowship, to love, to heal, to restore the image of God that was broken. And when we broke it, and when our ancestors broke it, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and eventually he sent his son because he was an active, dynamic, missionary God looking for all of us. And let me say this to you so that you get it. I hope you pay attention to this. God does not have a church. God has a mission. And he sends his church to fulfill his mission. You understand that? God did not create the church just to create a church. He created a church of his disciples to continue the mission that he started from the beginning of creation and that will culminate at the end of the restoration that occurs in the last books of Revelation. God did not create a church. God doesn't have a church. God has a mission. And the church is called to be part of that mission. It calls us to be part of the mission of God because you are the stewards of that mission until the Lord returns. The mission is being placed in your hands and in my hands for two reasons. One, because he brings him glory and because when we serve, we worship him. You know, worship is not just singing though it is. Worship is not just many of the things we do. We worship God through our service. We worship God through our obedience. We worship God whenever we recognize that he is God and we are not. We worship him whenever we lift him up in front of people. We lift him up in front of the world. We worship him whenever you and I recognize and declare and proclaim who our God is. That's worship. To see the worth of His and to declare it and proclaim it. We worship God and we are sent into the world to do the service that God has called us. We are the church with a mission. Not our mission, not the bishop's mission. I hope it's all of it together because it is all the mission of God. And you are the stewards 
of that mission. And let me tell you, if you thought that stewardship was about money, I would say to you, once you get a hold of the stewardship of these things, money is the least of the problems of the church. Because once you get a hold that you are the stewards of the grace of God and the mysteries of God and the revelation of God and the gospel, nobody's going to have to ask you for one penny because you will want to be part and you will ask to be part of what God is doing in the world. This is more important stewardship than any stewardship of money. So if I can get you to understand the tremendous stewardship that has been put in your hands, I have done my job as a pastor, as your pastor. If I can get you to understand it, to walk out of here understanding the supreme call of God in your lives, in my life, in our lives, we are the stewards of the work of God. Now, I, I read a long time ago in, in some place, and I don't remember exactly where it was, but somebody taught me, or I read it in a book, that we need to look at our shape. And no, it's not our shape. Okay? It's not the shape of our bodies or the shape of our bank accounts or the shape of any of these things. Um, this, this that I read and I was reminded of as I was preparing my sermon, it, it's, it's shape. It's an acronym. It's an acronym shape. And the S stands for spiritual gifts. I want to say to you, what is the shape of your spiritual gifts? Where are they? How are they? Do you recognize what your gifts are? Are you using your gifts? What is the shape of your spiritual gifts? If God has entrusted you with gifts from above, if he has equipped you and built you and created you with gifts and the Holy Spirit has given you gifts, what are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? What is the shape of your gift life or gifted life? Think about it. What is the shape of the gifts in your life? Are you using them? Are you using them for yourself? Are you using them for God's glory? What is the shape of your gifted life, your spiritual gifts? The H stands for heart. And I want to ask again, what is the shape of your heart? How is your heart? Especially your heart toward God. What about your heart toward others and toward the mission? What is the shape of your heart? Is God at the throne, seated at the throne of your heart? Is your heart open 
to the calling of God, to the work of God, to the desire of God in your life? Is your heart open to what God wants to say and do to you, or are you so busy looking around that you don't understand that the Lord is moving in you and calling you, and, and that push that you feel in your heart to do and to work and to, and to do something great for God, that thing that you keep suppressing, God's not going to go away. He's just going to keep pressing you and pressing you and pressing you because He is that way. What is the shape of your heart toward God, toward His kingdom, and toward His mission? What is it? Do you leave it for others to do the mission? What is the shape of your heart? Because without the heart, you can't do nothing. Your heart has to be open to the Lord and allow Him to sit enthroned as the only King and Lord and Master of your life. The A stands for abilities. What are your abilities beyond your spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts come from the Spirit, but abilities may be things you're born with. Some of you have great abilities. Some of you have an ability to teach like nobody else. Some of you have an ability to sing like nobody else. Some of you have abilities to work with your hands. Some of you have abilities that I can't count on, certainly abilities I don't have. And I have abilities that you don't have. But what are your abilities that you've been entrusted with, that you were perhaps born with, maybe even passed to you from your parents, abilities that are ingrained in you? And in that, I also throw, what did you learn in school? What did you go to college for? What did you go to university? Some people are doctors. Some people are lawyers. Some people are all kinds of things. They learn, and those are not born with. They learn, and those things also can glorify the Lord. What is the shape of your abilities? D, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the P stands for personality. Listen, not every one of us have the same personality. Thank God. But all our personalities, when are submitted to the Lord... God can use every one of us. And some people are introvert, and some people are extrovert, and some people are somewhere in the middle, and some people are this way, and some people are that way. And some people need to hear the introvert, and some people need to hear the extrovert, and some, everybody out there needs to hear from you. You can minister to people that perhaps are like you or who may be open to your personality. What is the shape of your personality? Is it being shaped by the presence of God? And lastly, experiences. The shape of your experiences. Listen, our experiences mold us. Amen? Things we experience since childhood and maybe have experienced through our lives, our experiences mold us. And let me tell you, some of our experiences come out of brokenness. But you know what? From our brokenness, we can help somebody that is experiencing the brokenness that we experienced before. Our experiences help us see the pain in others because we've walked that walk. 
The experiences that we have had and seen God working us through that experience can serve as encouragement to others who also will experience the stuff, the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with life. Our experiences mold us, and they're usable to the glory of God. What is your shape? What is your shape? I looked up because I, you know, we always, whenever we talk about time and talent and gifts, we always want to go to 1 Corinthians 12 because of the gifts of the Spirit. So I kind of read it through again 12, 13, 14, and, and Romans and Ephesians, those chapters that have to do with gifting. And these are some of the things I found. Just listen to this. It says, Number one, Paul says that none of us should be ignorant of spiritual gifts. None of us should be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Especially the Spirit giving you a gift, you should not be ignorant of how you're made or what your shape is. Number two, it says that there's diversity of gifts. Let me tell you, not all the gifts are charismatic gifts. Not all the gifts are about healing and tongues and, and miracles and this and that. There's the gift of teaching. There's the gift of preaching. There is the gift of administration. There is the gift of generosity. There are so many gifts present that the, that the Bible speaks about, and probably there are many others that, that are not spoken about. There are diversities of gifts, but it also says that the gifts are for the profit of all. The gifts are for the profit of all. Each believer receives a gift. The gifts are distributed to each one as the Spirit wills. You don't choose the gift. I think the gift chooses you. The Spirit gives to you the gift that the Lord wants you to have. And you can't go back to the Lord and say, no, I don't want that one. Because somehow the Lord gave you that gift because he wants to use you in that area. People come to me at time and says, uh, Father Jose, can you tell me how the Lord wants to use me? Look at your gift. What are you good at? The Lord would not have gifted you in an area that he doesn't want to use you. So whatever your gift is, that's the direction he wants you to use. Try it out. You may find a lot of satisfaction in serving the Lord in that particular area. And God will be glorified. All the gifts are important and necessary. They are not a cause for division. Gifts must be used in love, caring for each other. The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the chapter on love. Gifts are to be desired. Be diligent in the use of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts is for the building of the body of Christ. Gifts are not trophies or decorations. Gifts are sometimes complement each other. I have a gift. Tom has a gift. We put them together, and we can do a lot more than I by myself. Gifts complement each other. And not only that, I want you to understand that the gifts sometimes are situational. The Lord will put you in ministry in some area with somebody and ask you to use a gift that you've never used. All you have to do is be obedient. 
If he tells you, speak to this person, you may say, but I'm not a preacher. That's okay. Speak to them. Tell them your heart. Tell them what God has done with you. God is the one that is going to work through you. You see someone sick, so you've never healed somebody. Go ahead and pray, because it is God that will do it through you. Sometimes the gifts are situational. I don't own the gifts. The gifts own me. And sometimes the gifts are situational. God plants you where he wants to use you. And he will equip you with the gift that you need for that place, that moment, and that person that you're going to be ministering to. And gifts are different from talents, and they're also different from false gifts. There are false gifts out there. False gifts, primarily the gifts of the occult, because Satan can also do miracles. But they're false gifts because they don't glorify God. And they go contrary to the Word of God. Any type of seance, any type of reading tarot cards, any palm reading, any horoscope thing, that is not from God. And those things, even if they seem to come true, they're not of God, and they should be shown by all of us. Those are false things and false gifting, even if they seem to be true. They're not of God, and they're prohibited in the Word of God, and a believer should not mess with any of that junk. And I call it junk. There are false gifts, but there are great gifts, and you are the stewards of those gifts. So today, I just wanted to share with you about the power of one, and that one is you. You individually, and we collectively. When we set ourselves to do the work of God, when we set ourselves to not live our lives for ourselves, but for a greater purpose, and yes, it will be risky at times, and yes, it will cost you many times, and it will cost you primarily in the area of time and gifting and talents. So today I just wanted you to understand something greater than the stewardship of money. Almost the stewardship of money is the easy way out. The stewardship of the glory of God is a much heavier and bigger thing that you have been entrusted with. And once we get that, everything else is peripheral. Your time and your talent need to be used to the glory of God. And so today we wanted to kind of celebrate what we called Ministry Sunday. And each of you received this in your bulletin. If you would pull it out a moment, please. In your bulletins, there is a, a, a booklet like this. And what we've done in this booklet is in the inside of the booklet, we wrote down, and believe me, these are not all of the ministries of St. Davis. These are some of the ministries of St. Davis. They're not all here. But we've kind of given you a little taste with a little bit of a description of each of the areas that through St. David's and with St. David's that we can serve the Lord, not just inside, but outside. Because many of these ministries are outreach and out there ministries. 
And my invitation to you is to take a look at all of these ministries and ask yourself, where is God calling me to use my time and my talent? How can God use me and use the gifting I have received? And then inside of it, there is a loose sheet, and the loose sheet is for you to mark which ministries you would like to try out. It, it is not once you sign for it, you are, you know, there forever. Just try it out. How is God wanting to use you? And just mark as many of them as you like, where you feel and put it to prayer and ask the Lord, Father, show me where you want me to use my gift, my talent, and my time. And just mark it and put your name down below. And give it to me or give it to an usher. Somehow get it to us at the office. And we will make sure that you be more than a pew warmer. That you be an active disciple of Jesus. Taking seriously the responsibility of the stewardship of the church that has been granted to us. So we've created this for you, and all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Where can I be used for your glory? And then try it out and get involved and become an active disciple. The world needs the church or it will continue as a lost world looking for answers and finding none except in the outbreaks of violence and, and the degradation of people and, and so many things. So folks, you are the stewards of God's church.